Under the radar to me means authenticity, not being filtered. It's a window in on the local stories that touch our lives. And there's a huge void in the traditional media covering this new faces of Boston. You may not be looking for a particular story, but when you hear about it, you're engaged. Under the radar means ahead of the curve. It's also perspectives. How does this particular story affect a community or a neighborhood? I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, summer holiday weekends are some of the most lethal times to be on the road. That's why this Labor Day weekend, we're starting off with a repeat of one of our most important conversations from this year. Distracted driving has evolved from fiddling with the radio to taking Snapchat videos while on the freeway. How can we put the brakes on this dangerous epidemic, killing thousands annually nationwide? Later in the show, the new book Sour Heart links seven short stories about a community of Chinese immigrants living in contemporary New York City. The fictional narrators are all young girls who are navigating adolescence while becoming Americans. Author Jenny Zong's Sour Heart is our September selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. But first, let's listen to our May discussion on the dangers of distracted driving. Joining me in the studio, Emily Stein, the president of the Safe Roads Alliance, a not-for-profit organization dedicated to promoting safer driving. Hello, Emily. Hi, Callie. Karen Toomey, a New England spokesperson for AT&T. Welcome, Karen. Thank you, Kelly. And Susan Moses, Deputy Director of the Center for Health Communication at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Hello, Susan. Hello. It's good to be here. Well, we begin this conversation in the context of the Transportation Committee at the legislature having moved 18 to 0 to approve a little firmer bill in action addressing distracted driving. And Emily, you are really involved there, so I wonder if you would describe what happened there. Sure. So they had a hearing a couple weeks ago um, regarding the hands-free bill. The current law as it stands is a texting ban Um, which has been on the books, I believe, since 2010. But as any police officer or any driver on the road will tell you, it's not working. It's very hard to enforce a texting ban when people can still hold a phone in their hand and dial a 10-digit number or program their GPS while driving. So the hands-free bill is to get the phone out of people's hands. Um, It would still allow conversation via Bluetooth or earbuds, but the goal of it is to also increase awareness that distracted driving is killing people. So I really wanted to start there before I had you answer the question, what is distracted driving? Because I wanted people to understand where we are legally in Massachusetts, because that's in the committee. It's still got to go further to get approval. So what is distracted driving? It's really anything that takes your eyes and mind off the task of driving. So right now, because of cell phones, everybody seems to have a smartphone. We're, we're focusing on the phones. But it, it is eating while driving, applying makeup, turning around to the back seat, disciplining your kids in the back seat. A lot of crashes are actually caused by somebody reaching for something. So there's manual distraction, visual distraction, and cognitive distraction. I think the last one is something that a lot of people don't know about or don't think about, where any type of conversation with somebody outside the car via phone uh, is distracting. distracting. That's my guest, Emily Stein. She is the president of the Safe Roads Alliance. Moving over to you, Susan Moses, you're with the T.H. Chan School of Public Health, because this is a public health issue. I wonder what you would add to that in your description of distracted driving? 
No, I think she's right, right on the mark. And right now, I think one of the problems since that law was the texting laws on the books is that it was enacted at a time when a lot of people didn't have smartphones. They had clamshells. And so in order to text, which was really difficult, and kids were really better at it than adults, but you had to punch in like three times to get an M or something like that. Now we can do so much more on phone. And my, my feeling right now is that a lot of people, if you ask them what the texting law is about, they think it's just texting. It's just composing or sending a text. And that's all that's against the law. And I think a lot of people might be more compliant if they knew really that even at a red light, you're not supposed to read your emails. You're not supposed to go on Facebook or do anything else. I think we do need some more awareness about what the current law says. And I do agree right now, I think a lot of law enforcement really, there's no meat in it. And it's too difficult to really catch people in breaking that law. So the hands-free really will help. And in public health, we're all about lessening harm and prevention. And while it's not a panacea, and a lot of people say it's not a risk-free solution, it is a risk reduction solution. And for the time right now, I think we need to be moving in that direction. So you've given us a little bit, Susan Moses, a little bit of the history of how we've gotten to distracted driving, capital D, capital D. Because in the past, you know, there were some other things going on in the car. People have always eaten in the car, and they've probably always put on makeup in the car or turned around in the back. And, you know, that wasn't exactly safe. But now, really, it takes your eyes off the wheel for you to text or to read email or whatever. So that's very important to put on the table. Over to you, Karen Toomey, because here's the statistic that everybody should be aware of. The surge of deaths from motor vehicle crashes multi-year has gone up 15% higher. So I note that in 2014, 348 people were killed in the state of Massachusetts. 2015, 354. And 2016, 399. And that adds up to a 15% higher rate. And the experts say it is all because of distracted driving. Now, you represent AT&T, and you have a program called It Can Wait. Talk about that and your response to the fact that this has gone up so precipitously. I think it's gone up because, of course, the use of cell phones has gone up. And obviously, it's a huge issue. And I don't think that it's going to just magically get better. I think that we have to look at some serious ways that we can step in and do something. It Can Wait is a program. Um, we started in 2010. We go into high schools, and we show a docudrama of what can happen in in a text. And sometimes we bring a simulator along and I've done the simulator ride. You put these virtual reality goggles in, you put in the film and it's terrifying. You're driving along, all of a sudden the crossing guard pops out, there's kids in front of you. I've watched young adults do this and there's kind of, a, oh, shock value type of thing. And you realize that people are overestimating their ability to stop they are overestimating their ability to react. They're underestimating the time it takes to crash. Let me pause you and ask this question because you mentioned that the simulator is going with young people mm -hmm. because they are digital natives. A lot of us sitting around the table yep. are semi-digital natives, <laughs> meaning that we came into right. it. But this is their world. Yep. So they don't see the difference between on the street, in the schoolhouse, and in the car. Right. You know, I think um, also people ask me about this sometimes. Why are you only doing it with teenagers or, or what have you? A couple things. First of all, hard to get a group of adults to go to a school to do this, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, so you go to the kids, but I have three teenagers. They're already getting the message. I mean, you know, you go through driver's ed and they are having it hammered in their heads. And so when you go and you show them this kind of shocking thing and you let them experience it for themselves, right there you're planting it in their head. But I think what we're really trying to do is grow a generation where it's not cool. 
I don't know if you remember, you know, yeah. back, I'm the child of the 80s when drinking and driving was the big message. And well, Susan Moses can tell you about that. They started that campaign. Right. <laughs> you know, and it was a big thing. Yeah. And I remember going to that stage where there was peer pressure. And I know people were still doing it. But there was the peer pressure that it wasn't cool. We need to get to that point where the peer pressure is it is not cool. And we're hoping that those kids then say to mom and dad, hey, mom, what are you doing? You know, knock it off. Put the phone down. Well, one of the things that AT&T is also doing is that they sponsored this documentary called The Last Text. And I wanted to run a clip from it. Now, this is one where Mariah's on her last night alive, really, and her last text was, where you at? She met a guy, played baseball, and one evening she just spontaneously got in her car and said, hey, I'm going to come watch this game. He was texting her to tell her directions of where she needed to go. And I guess she just looked away for too long. Where are you at, you know? That was it. Looking away for too long, let me just pick up on that, because what you each have said is, it's a second, a second, not seconds or minutes. So, Emily, what is the difficulty of getting people to understand that, that I think I can overcome the one second look away, and so it's not really an issue? Well, that's what research is showing, that we all see the other drivers doing it. We all are scared of the other drivers harming us. But then again, we turn around and do it ourselves. So I think we all feel invincible. But unfortunately, I think it's a selfish thing. We all get in our bubbles of the car. We're driving to work or to school. And we're just a little tuned out. And I think it's a very selfish thing that we all get into. And it also, there's an addictive behavior at play. And I think because of the addiction, that keeps our you know, reality, part of the brain saying this is dangerous, this is dangerous, to have that addiction to being connected. So whether it's... Um, all the time. All the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you don't get a text or email back, then how about I switch over and check Facebook? Did anybody like my update? Or, you know, Snapchat, Twitter. It's it's going through all these social apps that we have on our phone. And that's where smartphones are, you know, technology is great. But the smartphone, when it comes to driving, is very scary when you have all these apps you can access on the phone. So, Emily, you have more than a professional interest in this. You have a personal interest in making people understand what the real consequences of this not paying attention is all about. Would you share that? Yeah. And my dad, six years ago, this past April, my dad was killed by a distracted driver. You know, he was... 61, extremely healthy, extremely safe. He was such a safe person. And when when my parents were teaching me how to drive, distracted driving wasn't a term yet, but it was a thing that they taught me. And so, you know, I never was one to use the phone when driving. So to find out that my dad was taken from us in such this awful, sudden and violent way by somebody who was programming her GPS... It was awful and also, you know, made me realize he was a teacher. This is something that people need to understand. So that's why I've been um, working for the past five years on, on just educating people about what distracted driving is. These are real things that are happening on the road to real people. That's my guest, Emily Stein. She's with Safe Roads Alliance. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I am Callie Crossley, and and also with Emily Stein joining us is Karen Toomey of AT&T and Susan Moses of the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. And we're talking about the evolution of distracted driving, the dangerousness of it, and what can be done potentially to stop it. Susan Moses along the lines of stopping it. 
we referenced the designated driving campaign of which the Harvard School of Public Health was instrumental in getting that message across pop culture and everywhere else. So everybody knows now what a designated driver is. You might not do it, but you know what it is. You're doing the same thing or trying to do that along the lines of distracted driving. Tell me what you're doing. Right. And so that's one of the problems in in answer, and I think Karen mentioned it too, is that right now there really is not a stigma against distracted driving. Years ago, when we were working, really working in the the thick of designated driver, if I would ever be talking to anybody about what I did, and I would talk about drunk driving prevention, nobody would say, oh, that's horrible, but yeah, I drive drunk all the time, and I know I should stop. Today, when I talk to people and say we're working on preventing distracted driving, everybody says, that's horrible, it's horrible, I know, I know I shouldn't do it, but I do do it. There's no shame in it. People are not embarrassed enough. It's not socially unacceptable the way drunk driving is right now. And it took years to get drunk driving to be socially unacceptable, and we had laws in place. So right now, one of the things we really do need to work at stigmatizing it to talk about really the dangers. And what we're looking at is to try, and so many of the campaigns, particularly in public health, are sort of a don't-do message, don't do this, don't do that. We need to get people back into driving. And right now, Massachusetts has a campaign of drive present to sort of take it away, we want to get it beyond... When you say distracted driving, people do think it's just your cell phone, a mobile device. And in fact, it's what Emily was saying. It's, it's everything you do when you're not paying attention, focused on the road when you're driving. So we need to sort of take that back. Um, with Designated Driver, one of the, the key pieces of why that campaign worked is we were able, back in the 80s, to really work with the Hollywood creative community to get them to write it into scripts of TV shows. So it was a way to normalize the behavior, the power of storytelling. People got absorbed with their characters. You were teaching them when they didn't know they were being taught, and you didn't have to bang it over their head. We left it up to the writers to be creative because that's what writers do so they can make it funny and it fit in with the characters on the shows. And it was a solution. It wasn't saying everything about alcohol is bad. It wasn't saying don't drink. It was saying don't drink and drive and take your turn and be a designated driver. So right now we do want to focus on this positive side of things of what we want you to be doing is to drive and pay attention. I just want to one other thing when you were asking about the amount of time it takes We're also looking in this aspect of situational awareness, which is something that I think is in the aviation field, being aware of the world around you. And when Mm. even when you're at a stoplight, I think the studies now are showing it's like 27 to 30 seconds from the time that you stop doing what you're doing and look up and actually are fully aware of your surroundings. And that's a long time. That's more than the one or two seconds you maybe sent that text. And so when you're at a light and you're not paying attention, People think, oh, that's safe. I'll read my emails now. Person behind I thought you, it was. I'll, I will it, confess. Yeah, go ahead. The person mm-hmm. behind you honks your horn. Mm-hmm. You say, oh, it must be a green light. I'm going to go. Well, maybe they were honking because, you know, there's a turkey in the road. And you don't know why, but you all of a sudden accelerate, and there might be a child running across. The light didn't change, or the person on the other mm-hmm. side ran it. So that's why you really need to be aware. And those are the where we're looking into so sort of really stigmatizing it and having a positive message of what you should be doing rather what you shouldn't be doing. So what Susan is talking about, Karen, is really trying to get people to accept this as normal. I've read that Jay Winston, whom you work with at the School of Public Health, uh, Susan says, shame does work. And so, you know, that's an underpinning of this. Just be ashamed that you're sitting there not paying attention and you know what the potential consequences are. With the AT&T program, It Can Wait, people take an active intentional pledge to stop. And it's really about changing their behavior because it really is just about behavior change. 
which has to start with each of us individually being motivated to do it. Now, I want you to speak to that because you've already begun the conversation about the simulator that you take to teens. But here is a PSA featuring the cast of the YouTube series at summer break. And they're speaking with J.C. Good about texting and driving. And J.C. and her parents were in a car crash in which her parents were killed and she was left partially paralyzed. If I get a text, I look at my phone. It's definitely texting. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Snapchat. I do Snapchat and drive sometimes. My name's JC. I just really quickly want to have a chat, tell you what happened to me. Driver on his phone was so distracted, he turned left into the intersection at a red light. Another car, an 18-wheeler, swerved to miss him and hit my family's car. And the resulting collision actually killed both of my parents. I live with a partially paralyzed body. I can assure you on my drive home right now, I'm not going to use my phone and drive. And I'm not going to do it when I go to work tomorrow and the next day after that until, you know, it becomes a habit and that just doesn't happen. Again, that was from the PSA featuring the cast of the YouTube series At Summer Break. And Karen, I I wanted to play that before you spoke about it because people should look at it. The expression on the faces of these young people before when they said, yeah, I text. I know everybody's not supposed to. And they talked about very specific ways in which they did it. And then she comes in to talk to them and they just break down because they can see in front of them what the evidence is of doing this. So, you know, I think that these are very important. And I mentioned before that the shock value. And, you know, we don't want to just scare people to scare people. I think the idea is to get it into their heads. This is real. These are real people. These are their lives. And I'm going to guarantee that every kid who goes to one of these things or sees these, they're shaken. Or if they do the simulator, they're surprised at their lack of ability to stop when they thought they could. But here's the thing. It's very easy to fall back into the habit. And so I don't think there's just one approach. I think it's very important that we get the word out, that we have positive peer pressure. We talk about what what Susan was talking about, making it not cool, making it kind of a thing. But it is an addictive thing. And so your intentions are, I am never picking up that phone again. And then you reach for it, right? Because you're at the stoplight, which is still illegal. Mm -hmm. And you grab it and you want, oh, I've got to just check that email or, or whatever. I think there are a lot of technologies out there We've got one. In fact, I installed it on my phone, and i got to tell you, it's, it's a learning curve because it silences all the notifications. It doesn't let you get into your phone. It stops it. And um, I made my kids do it, right? And for the first week, they were like, this is driving me crazy. I hate it. And it's not because they they were necessarily texting, but the fact that they— It would, wasn't readily available. It was not readily available, mm-hmm. and it, it took—and and I don't text— But it took a little while to get used to it. We have to give people tools to actually put the phone down and keep it down. The one I have is obviously it's an AT&T product, AT&T drive mode, but there are a bunch of them out there. And it silences the notifications. It only allows a Bluetooth call to come in. You can, you know, uh, put in uh, like an emergency number that would come in. If you had an emergency. If you had something Mm -hmm. like, you know, you're waiting for somebody from the hospital that, that you could have that dialed in. But that really changes things. And I think you have to have a a mix of, okay, we're going to make it really illegal. We're going to tell you how awful it is. And we're going to train you 
to not use your phone. I really think that's important because you just reach for it. It's not that people want to be bad people. They're just so used to, you know, why do we eat French fries and potato chips without, you know what I mean? It's the same addictive quality. So I think that there are a couple different ways we need to come at this. Well, I want to pick up on that because what I like about this technology that blocks it is that you have to opt out of it. They just, you know, you're automatically in it once you're in the car. Right. And there's variations of it. There are some that if you drive above 15 miles an hour, then it works. But there's others that starts almost immediately and there's just nothing. And what it does is gather up everything that you may have missed. And once you get out of the car, it says, here are the messages that you have to respond to. Ten minutes or five minutes or whatever from where you were Mm -hmm. and you still get everything. You don't lose anything. And there's a benefit. It also sends a message. Okay, so you're trying to reach me, right? You're Mm -hmm. like, I need you to be here in 15 minutes or whatever. You're going to get a message from my phone that says, sorry, I missed your call. I'm driving right now. I'll reach you later. You know, um, no text is worth a life. Maybe that sounds like kind of a mouthful. Why do I need to see that every time? But that is the power of positive role modeling and positive peer pressure. Because when you get that text, you think to yourself, oh, that's a good idea. You know what? I should do that. Now, Mm -hmm. I don't know that you're going to run out and put that on your phone necessarily, but what if everybody around you started doing that? What about if every teenager, for example, who's at one of these it can waits, starts downloading this drive mode or what have you, whatever program they want on their phones, and then everybody's getting this, sorry, I'm driving. It becomes normal. They begin to see it, and it's normal, and it's not weird. And I've actually had people say, oh, you know, I thought that was kind of cool that I saw that come from your phone. And Emily mentioned that teenagers in particular, they are so used to, well, why didn't you call me back? Why didn't you text me? You know, it was 2.5 seconds. Why didn't you respond? This is one of the ways of, I'm not ignoring you. I'm not Mm -hmm. being a jerk. Mm -hmm. And it sends an automatic message. And I think that if this became more commonplace, then we would begin to see a kind of a, a seeping in of this information. So let me ask you this. If you wanted to do that, is this program that AT&T or others, I know they don't seem to be available everywhere. So how do you, in the newer cars, some of this is being built in. Yes. But you have an old car like I have or you'd like to, what do you do? So you would just download it. It's free. If you had a Bluetooth in your car, and and by the way, you immediately set it and it will go into place at 15 miles an hour and you're done. Okay. Um, And then you would just set the settings, you know, Bluetooth, allow Bluetooth or don't allow Bluetooth. Right. If you did not allow Bluetooth or you didn't have Bluetooth, it would just go send your calls to voicemail Um, and it would just take care of everything, the messages. I mean, it's so simple. I am not a technically brilliant person. It took me maybe 30 seconds. That's Karen Toomey of AT&T, and we're discussing some technology that can shut it off. So, Emily, back to you, because you mentioned at the beginning that a lot of people don't understand the cognitive distraction, even if you are hands-free. And that's been the whole question here in Massachusetts. If you're hands-free, you're not holding the cell phone, because now, according to this latest uh, move by the legislature, if you're holding the cell phone, that's illegal. But if you're hands-free, not so much. Right. And I think that's the complicated part of the law. So hands-free would make two things more positive. It would allow law enforcement to actually enforce the law. Because the problem is when you have a law that you can't enforce, it's kind of this really slippery slope. And let me just say that right now, the law is that if you're initiating a GPS or something, you could tell the officers, no, that I was just turning on. So so that's where it gets murky and it's hard to be, enforce it. Right. Yeah. I did a ride along with a state trooper, mm-hmm. which was eye-opening and really frustrating for them. And it also is not safe. Currently, they have to follow a car for a certain amount of distance to look over and say, okay, this guy, is he actually calling someone or are they manipulating their phone in a way that I could give them a citation? And, and a lot of people that we pulled over that day 
got out of a ticket because they said they were programming their GPS or they were just dialing a number. So we're finding our way around it. Are you a fan of this technology that just shuts it off? I am a shut it off, just drive type of person. And part of it is because of my personal tragedy. But I'd like to think that you don't have to have this happen to you or your family for you to get it. One thing we're trying to encourage is is mindful driving, Mm. being present, Mm -hmm. attentive driving. I mean, you cannot be a defensive driver or an attentive driver if you are a distracted driver. And we live in such a busy world where, you know, for parents out there, our life is very noisy and it's very busy. And I think if we start encouraging people to just drive, that's our protective bubble of mindfulness or silence. And, it, you know, I quite enjoy just driving and sometimes not even listening to the radio because that's my time. Mm-hmm. And I think if we as adults start owning back that time where we just drive, it took me and my job as a visiting nurse, I would feel that stress, that pressure to answer the phone because doctors would be calling in mm-hmm. and families would be calling in and the office would be calling in. But I really had to focus on turning the phone off putting it away. And after enough time happens, that becomes your habit. You just put it away and you're not as tempted. Susan, you want to add something? Uh, Yeah, I think we need a lot of different approaches. And when we look at the drunk driving issue, there was a reduction in drunk driving fatalities. And from designated driver, we say that we think that that campaign was one piece of it, but we also lowered the speed limit. We raised the drinking age. There were a lot of things going on. And I think technology is the problem. And I think technology ultimately will be the solution of getting people to shut down their phones or having the cars do it. But we also, at the same time, we need to do peer pressure. One thing we're looking at is using children as the change agents for their parents. One of the biggest problems right now, there have been surveys after survey and kids, the one thing they say is they watch what their parents are doing. We all know that. They look what their parents are doing and it's kind of hard when they see their parents texting all the time or their parents are on the phone. So that's something that if we can get kids, I know when I was a kid, we learned about not smoking and I was, I'd come home and if my parents didn't smoke, luckily, but they had friends that did. And I was that kid who went and, you know, I stomped out the cigarette. I, you know, it's going to kill well, you. Well, I can interrupt you and say my was, parents were chain smokers and my sister and I hated it and they stopped cold turkey because of us. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you have and and also parents are your first role model for children. And I think that's one step. Also, businesses. You mentioned about visiting nurses. Um, How many real estate people or everyone says right now the expectation is it's downtime in the car. Well, I think the federal government put down the law uh, years ago of saying, you know, government employees are not supposed to be on their phones. And I think a lot of businesses need to do it. So we need to have multiple sectors doing that as well and getting people not having that pressure that you have to be doing doing your work while you're driving. I also think, Susan, according to what the Transportation Committee has just approved, the fines escalate. So there's a $100 fine for the least amount of damage you're doing or activity that they can perceive you're doing, given what we've just talked about is the difficulty for state troopers or police to understand what you're doing in the car, what you can tell them. And the highest is $500. I just think that's ridiculously low. I think if you're going to get serious about it, really find somebody. And I bet you one time, that's it. Somebody will think long and hard before trying it again. And Emily, you're nodding. Yeah, and and it needs to be a surchargeable. Insurance needs to get involved. If it's not surchargeable, then you're not really going to feel the sting of it. There you go. So here we are. 
And what can happen now? We have a kind of not great law, I would say. And really, just to be clear, what the Transportation Committee has approved has to yet go on to become concretized into a law. That 2010 law is very mushy. Nobody can figure out what to do. Puts a lot of pressure on the police and state troopers who can't really tell what you're exactly what you're doing. And it goes on and on. So, Emily, you had something concrete you wanted to offer that we should be doing. So what I'd love to do is challenge listeners to just try for two weeks putting the phone away. Put it on silent, turn it off, put it in the trunk, depending on how glued you are to your phone. Get it out of sight, out of mind. And try it for two weeks. And at the end of two weeks, see how you are as a driver. Did you actually enjoy your commute more? Did you feel like you were a safer driver? Um, did you really miss anything? Did you really miss anything? Mm-hmm. I think that's what you know the researchers are showing, that we have this addiction. There is an actual squirt of dopamine that we're getting every time we hear a notification, we hear a ping go off. And nine times out of ten, it's junk mail. But we're still reaching for it like it's that golden job offer or we lost, you know, won the lottery. We're not missing anything. Susan, what would you say? I like that idea, and I think people do need to try it. The other avenue that I think a lot of new apps are coming into play right now, and along the gaming idea, and mm-hmm. once again, I think we might need different approaches for different sectors of society as well, that people who maybe feel they are addicted and they just can't, but they would like to do better. And when you think about like Fitbits or the Gammon thing, that people count their steps. Right. And I, I don't have one, but I know people that do, and when they reach their 10,000, they're like, I made it, and they want to do better. And I know kids with all the gaming, they want to do better. It's like, can you best what you just did? And I think some apps they're working on, can you be a better driver and have it be competitive? That And I think some of the, the apps are looking at are, there's something that maybe can watch your eye movements. And they can tell through various measures how distracted you are or not. And just as a personal gain, can you do better next time? And I think those are, more, those are good positive reinforcements to help with behavior changes. I just want to add a couple stats that sort of threw me. Pedestrian deaths have gone up because of distracted driving. That's people walking around because of people distracted in their cars have been killed or otherwise injured very seriously. Susan? Well, it's also pedestrians themselves are well, that's right. distracted. So I think I'm not sure the breakout of how many are maybe they're walking across the street and they're looking at their phone and they're not looking up as well. So I think it's cut across... That one struck me. Massachusetts is the worst in terms of seatbelt usage, and that's a behavior-driven activity. You know, you have to to do that. So that seems to me makes us, puts us, Karen, in a scary kind of situation because it doesn't seem like we want to do safe behavior as a rule. I mean, that's going to be a tough thing. And here's the last thing. Distracted driving happens all the time. Where you're thinking about distracted driving in terms of drunk driving, drunk driving is most prevalent on the weekends and, you know, a few days toward the end of the week. Distracted driving any time, any hour, any day. No wonder the, the, the numbers have to go up. So anyway, I wanted to put that on the table before you weighed in about what we can do now without a real strong law and with people having some behavior issues. And, and, you know, it's a great question because it is a whole changing a whole behavior. How do you do that? And I don't think it's a quick fix, but I don't think that means that we should be sitting around and continuing to just think about it. I think we got to just start implementing whatever we can. I think you've got to make people make it an undesirable activity. I hate the fact that we have to, you know, grow a whole new generation, but let's hope that maybe they could impact the older people our our age. I think you've got to do that. I think you got to give people the technology to stop it 
right now. You can stop it right now. Then we can deal with um, we can deal with the laws. We partner with all of our the public safety, with state police and attorney general, et cetera. Um, and so we take the their lead. You know, whatever they're doing, we are their partners and we will help with that. But I think you just got to use what you've got for now. Get that out there and make it happen. You got to you got to teach that it's really bad. You've got to shake people up enough to make a promise, but then you've got to help them keep it because mm-hmm. good intentions they just go out the window about a week afterwards T- look at kids who go to driver's ed they're you know they obey all the laws because they're terrified of losing their licenses about a year later let's see if they're driving the same way mm-hmm. they did you know that that we've got to make it so that it's not cool and then we've got to give them the technology to stop it well, um, I will tell you, I uh, will no longer be reading uh, anything at the red light. I never answered texts while while driving. I just ignored that. But I did think it was okay if I'd stopped at a red light. And now I know differently. So I can pledge right now. It can wait. And I'm getting one of those apps. I thank you all for your insight today. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Emily Stein is the president of the Safe Roads Alliance. Karen Toomey is a spokesperson for AT&T. And Susan Moses is the deputy director of the Center for Health Communication at Harvard's T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Coming up, Sour Heart imagines the Chinese immigrant experience as a series of short stories set in today's New York City. From the big sister who wants to be free of her close-knit family life to the young girl who fears speaking English in public, these small, intimate stories represent big expressions of the hopes and fears of families trying to find home in a new country. Author Jenny Zong's Sour Heart is our September selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. That's next on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley.